I'm Matt Gary Fisher, and this is the Burn From Within show. Each week, I interview inspiring people who have changed their career or life to light up inside. So if you want to get excited about your Mondays, work on meaningful projects, and have more time for the passions and people that matter to you, stay tuned. On this week's episode, I have Fiona Reith. A phenomenal career change coach I know from a certification training we completed last year together called Firework. Now every time I met Fiona during the course and subsequent catch-ups, I was just so impressed by how she thought about things, how she solved her own problems and her clients' challenges. She shared so many useful ideas and so much practical advice that I asked her, where did all this come from? And she recommended a book for career and life change called Designing Your Life by Dave Evans and Bill Burnett, who are both professors at Stanford University that teach design thinking. This was and is an absolute game changer for me, and I'm now training with the authors Bill and Dave directly in becoming a certified Designing Your Life coach in April this year. This conversation gives you a glimpse of why this way of thinking is so useful, practical, and why we both love it so much. In this episode, we discuss the importance of prototyping your next career, using design thinking methodology for life and career design, how to prototype through conversations and experiences, my experience in prototyping interviews for becoming an employed podcast producer, scales of prototyping and your spectrum of possibilities, knowing when you've done enough prototyping to make a career decision, reframing problems with design thinking, networking to access the hidden job market, and what's the one thing that's made Fiona Reith burn from within. The full show notes and videos of other interviews are available at burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews. So listen all the way through and enjoy. You told me a little bit about some work you've been doing with a couple of guys from Stanford University, Dave Evans and Bill Burnett, who wrote the book Designing Your Life, which I've read and I've read their subsequent book and now devoured all of their material and really have jumped into this world and love it. And one of the things in the book that, that really resonates with me and also strategies for, for my coaching clients and also just people looking for work in general or looking for what to do next in life uh, is a concept called prototyping. Tell me a little bit about, first of all, design thinking and how significant the concept of prototyping from it is both for your life and your clients. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Design thinking um, or human-centered design, I think was initially called, was, is a sort of concept from designers in California, Stanford University, and IDEO, a big sort of design agency, an innovation hub in San Francisco many years ago. But the guys that you mentioned, Bill and Dave, took that concept and turned it into a class that could be taught at Stanford, really for graduates who were floundering a little bit to think, okay, I've done all these studies, but how, what does that mean for the real world? What am I going to do next? So they, des- they designed a, a class that you could take at Stanford and it became really popular. And as they were doing it, it ended up that alumni wanted to come back and do it. And then they realized that there was a market for this and they wrote a book. And it's really the same concept that designers use to design products. And maybe for those of us outside the design world, we maybe think that the way that designers make products is that they make something smart or they make something cool or they make something pretty and then we buy it. But that's not really the process or it's certainly not what human-centered design is. Human-centered design is about what's the problem If you think about that from a career point of view, it's quite easy to answer that question usually. What's your career problem? We'll maybe come back to those, uh, some examples of those. And then get some awareness and some empathy about what's really going on with that problem. We all see the jokes about somebody designing a solution that doesn't really fit the problem because it doesn't work very well. So you have to get a little bit of empathy and understanding of the person and the situation. Then come up with lots and lots of ideas 
um, for you for moving forward instead of in your career how often do you hear people and they've got one idea and you think okay how many jobs are there in that or is that really accessible for you you come up with lots and lots of ideas and this is where prototyping comes in how do you decide which ideas to take forward you experiment you test them out and that's what prototyping is. It's essentially a career experiment, a really safe, low-key career experiment that gives you a little bit more data, experience, evidence, emotions about your choice before you make it. That really makes sense to me. And I think back to when I was 16 and I was working, a lot of people in the UK, they do work experience. A lot of people do it for a week. And that's a taster into basically into the general world of work. It might be a taster into a 16 year old's future career. Who knows? Um, yeah. That's a brilliant example of a prototype experiment. And the thing is, so when we're young, we do them, right? So we do these work experiences, we do these internships, and they do teach us things about the world of work and things about ourselves. And the thing is, we stop doing them almost immediately. We get into a job and then we run out of options. So, yeah, I think work experiences is a brilliant example. There are two type of prototype experiences in the book and that we use in the program. One of them is called prototype conversations, or you might call them informational interviews or career conversations. They're not interviews, so the word interview is like a little bit misleading, um, but a prototype conversation. And then the other type is a prototype experience, and you would classify work experience as a prototype experience. Prototype conversations are the conversations that we have with people to find out more about the thing that they do that you might be interested in doing, is listening to their career story. It's something that clients shy away from, but I would say, and I think that's why we're talking about it today, you and I, I think it's probably the, the nub of the process. It's probably the thing that makes the difference. Why is that? Because we make our decisions not just based on facts. Career decisions can't really be made on cause and effect or pros and cons. Theory, to, essentially. Theory, yes. Yeah. I know I went for the kind of classic theoretical career advice at times in my career and it didn't really move me forward. That's why I love this process so much because I've had the theoretical advice as to what it looks like I might be good at doing based on my personality, based on my education. But this process is about feeling your way forward, felt experience. And if that sounds a bit fluffy to some people, you and I both know that in positive psychology and the book is written really based on really strong evidence of positive psychology, how humans make decisions. And we make decisions um, based on our gut instinct, on our evidence, on experience. You don't take a job without talking to somebody and it, trying to work out if it's going to work for you. And so why would you change career without talking to quite a lot of people in the area that you're thinking of moving into and getting a cross section of kind of emotional data to see whether it's the right thing for you. And then as you discover a little bit more, then maybe designing a small experiment or um, prototype experience where you get more chance to try that out. With informational interviews, that's a, a one type of prototyping. How do they work? How do you set them up? And what is it like in practice? And what would be the end result from an informational interview? Yeah, that's a really great question because I do think it, the idea almost scares people a little bit. But what you're really looking for is to learn their story. You want to talk to a, a cross-section of people. And again, referring back to the book, the authors would say, pick a good number of people. If you think that you want to work in a certain area of tech or a certain area of marketing, you really want to pick five or six people that work in that area. So that here's the thing that scares people because I don't know those people. As no, because that's not your world yet. So you're going to have to, and that's actually good because talking to the people around you, there's a lot written on this um, in, in career theory, isn't there? About weak ties are better than close ties. People who know you really well, they just know what you know and they know what you do and that's how they see you. People who know you a little bit less well are, are, are going to be more open to you changing and have 
access to different pieces of information. So within your wider group of friends, I bet you know somebody who works in tech or I bet somebody who works in marketing. Do you think your friend would introduce you to the person who works in this other field so you could have a, a career conversation with them? Yes, that's the first step. I think that, that could work. So usually through referral, you get introduced to somebody and you only ask for half an hour of your, their time and you're le really looking to understand how they got where they are today. So people like talking about themselves. People like telling their stories. It helps them with their own self-reflection. And so a 30-minute interview is probably enough. But you do need to, the biggest mistake people make is to not do enough of them. So you do need to really do five or six. And then you will realize, is there something in that conversation that resonated with me? Something I would like doing? Because you're asking them, what do you do every day? What do you like about your job? How did you get there? Um, what's next for your industry? What's next for you? Who else might I speak to who works in this industry? And that sort of conversation, if you just use your own curiosity and don't try and script it too much, be yourself, find out what it is you want to find out about what it's like to work there. A really obvious one. Often clients come to me, you maybe get this too, um, they've worked at a really small company or they've worked at a really big company and they want a complete change, but they want to stay in a really small company or stay in a really big company because that's all they know. Because they think that they won't like working in a small company or a big company, whatever the opposite is. But the, the, the point is they've never spoken to anybody who works in the opposite. So they don't actually know whether they would like it. They just think that they don't like it. And that is what Bill Burnett and Dave Evans would say, the difference really between simulation and surrogation. So simulation is when you look at somebody and you look at the peak of their life, the outside bits of their life that, that you think, I don't know, I've got a friend who's a journalist or I was talking to a client the other day about, about this. And you look at that and you think, would I would like to do that or I wouldn't like to do that. And you're basing it on just what you can see. But if you have a conversation with them, you'll get more information about what's their day, what skills do they use, what's the environment like, how much do they get paid? Lots of people stop themselves from doing career change because they believe that the pay scale will be different from what they're currently on, but they don't know. So one way to find out that information is through one of these experimental career conversations. I, I completely resonate with that. I've done these informational interviews myself. I have a portfolio career. I, I do freelance copywriting and sales. And I, I love podcasts. I love uh, doing this podcast. And I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe I could do, maybe I could get into the podcasting world and actually be paid like professionally as a freelance podcast host or getting into that kind of area and, and going and actually speaking to podcast hosts, podcast producers, like recognized ones that, that I, I thought had made it. Some of the people I spoke to said they loved their job and it was interesting and got to speak with amazing people. And I, when I asked some of them, what are the cons? What, and some of them said, actually, it really barely pays the bills. Like when you're paid, when you're not running it as your own business, but you're paid as a podcast host or producer. And that kind of, that shifted my perspective. And I was so excited about that as a potential career. And now I think, okay, that's interesting. That's changed new my data. feeling. Yeah, and it's new data, exactly. New and, data. And, and really, and I think the point of, jumping in so many people just jump into a career and they're not sure but they just go for it it's like all their friends say why don't you try this and then they they apply they might get in and, and then they spend they might spend five years or 10 years in a career that they absolutely hate because they haven't tested it and one example of that we had, I had a guest on the show a few weeks ago uh, a dentist tom youngs he, he spent almost 10 years training to be a dentist as soon as he got into the dentist's practice that he wanted, a really respected private practice, he, was, he had a moment of, of just being in the room and realizing he was going to be doing this for the next 30 years. And he thought, what the hell am I doing? And very shortly after he quit and had that horrible, painful transition out. So uh, the importance of this is not to be understated. And the power of informational interviews is it can save years of heartache in your life. People confidence. come to you and they think, oh, it's going to, this is going to take a long time because they just want a quick fix. And you're like, yes, but the, but the reason you're in this situation is because you've not done this sort of prior research. So let's just slow it down a tiny little bit. Think, what do you think you want to do next? Let's speak to five or six people who do that. 
What also happens, so it's not an interview, you mustn't be asking about openings or, or jobs because that shifts the focus of the conversation. They maybe don't have a job and then you feel like, they feel like that's awkward and they won't take your call or you feel like you're having to impress them. There's, there should be none of that. You need to be yourself and be led by your curiosity. So it's not an interview, but what, kind, what happens once you do a bunch of these is you get connections serendipity happens. People come up with offers and opportunities that you would never have had the vantage point to see because you weren't talking to people. So the biggest mistake I think that people make is, is, is to not talk. Now people don't talk because they feel vulnerable and they feel shy. So what we do before they do this piece is we make sure they're really straight on their story. Why am I interested in this? What's my motivation here? What am I gonna do with this? this information that you give me. And, and that's a really simple formula and people get really quite confident. But you're right, the, the pitfalls of not doing this, you make a choice that you dislike. And as you say, you hear people saying it, it's two months or two years. Once you start in something, you're not gonna get out easily because as humans, we think there's a sort of sunk cost. I can't leave now, what will people think? The other thing that happens is people get really stuck because in their head, there are lots and lots of scenarios. Well, I could do this, I might do that. So I have a friend who's always thought about being a teacher. Is that nostalgic or is it actually something she could do? It's really easy to find out. I certainly have worked in education, so I can introduce her to a lot of teachers and she actually knows lots of lecturers herself. So maybe teaching at a different um, type of institution, have those conversations. Also spend some time with young people see how that goes for you. That would be the next type um, of, of prototype is actually where you have, you actually have the experience. You actually go and try something really small that would, you would imagine would be what your life might be like if you were doing this all the time. So example, I was working with somebody who fancied really good at yoga, fancied maybe being a yoga instructor, but had never led a group to do anything. Asked her yoga teacher to let her at the beginning just be at the front of the class and then to maybe demonstrate a move and then maybe take a bit of the class that would be a prototype experience because all the time that person's going i love this or i hate this and this isn't for me maybe i'll go and write books about yoga because i don't still love yoga but i don't like demonstrating it to other people there's almost this assumption that we can all do everything and we'll all enjoy doing everything. And actually that's not true. It's so personal about what's meaningful to us and what matters to us and what makes us, um, gives us joy at work and, and, and flow and enjoyment at work. Yeah, I love that example. Like that's really dipping your toe into a profession, leading one yoga class and you're familiar with the teacher and it's just seeing how teaching is for you, for example. So what are the kind of scales from the other side of prototyping, not informational interviews, but actually the experiences, getting the actual experiences? What are the kind of scales that people can take in order to test things out experientially? Yeah, yeah from, from teaching a yoga class to, does it go to just getting a, a full-time job? What is there? And in I think that's a really great question because it, it takes me back to the course that we did to, together, the Spectrum of Possibilities tool, which is a really good way to say to somebody, okay, at the top end, you're planning to come out of, I don't know, the art world to go into the tech world or being in quality management to be in marketing. Okay, so that's quite a big jump. So we'll put that at the top end. You're doing this new thing that you want to do. What are all the little things all the way down? Chunk it right down to what's the smallest way that you could get involved in that new world. Often with clients, you are looking at maybe doing an interim move. You're maybe looking at doing a move where you move from the company that you work for, where you're the specialist in something else, where you change sector. So you're closer to the thing that's interesting to you rather than just doing it. But yeah, in terms of experiences, obviously we mentioned the obvious things like interning. So once you're in a paid job, that might be shadowing. It might be offering to do a project. It might be doing some pro bono work. We've certainly both done that to learn how to coach. You end up doing pro bono coaching to get your experience. But once you've got your experience, you know what it feels like to be a coach and, and, and you go from there. Other examples are things like volunteering. Volunteering is probably my favorite 
I think it's the thing that if I look back on my own career, I have never, a volunteering experience has never gone without something coming out of it. It's just, you get so much from doing it, but you access a world temporarily, very few commitments that you wouldn't normally have access to, but you bring your skills and your energy and you give something and in return you meet a new bunch of people and, and, and you often get new opportunities. And I think people don't realise volunteering, talk about scale, can go all the way from being the marshal at the park run up to sitting on a voluntary board and, and almost everything in between. Following up on that point about volunteering, I had a one of my guests, Luke Mickelson, he, he worked in sales and he started building beds for kids for his local community. He was volunteering to do that. And because he and he just realized he got so much enjoyment from doing that in his spare time. And he, I think he led his Boy Scout group to help him out. And then his community started helping him out. Then it got bigger and bigger and it got to this kind of huge organization that then went national and he had to make a decision of should I just do this charity or should I quit my six-figure sales job and he realized that actually that's what he wanted to do and he in a way it was a transition of prototyping and it gradually got bigger and bigger until he just knew that was the decision he had to make. I think that's um, the point a really good point that you make designing your life is once you've got into the rhythm of it you actually, well, for me, I looked back and I thought, look, there's all the times where I did design my life. I made intentional decisions based on what mattered to me on really strong evidence and they worked out. And there are other decisions that didn't work out like that because probably I didn't think of it. So then as you go forward, it, 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 the whole idea is that it's building your way forward. It's not necessarily the solution to, to it could be, you could come to it in crisis but it would actually become a way of doing things. And that's definitely what it is for me. And then I think it's about people can then, they might take an interim job. So if I think about clients that I've been working with, we might decide that taking an interim job whilst they retrain or whilst they volunteer for the longer term goal, because you've got to, you've got to build up experience, particularly if you're making a complete career shift. Is that actual really the nub, one of the nubs of career coaching when people come to you and they really want to do something that's very different and they believe they have the transferable skills but they haven't tested it out in any way and and therefore testing it out also adds evidence to your portfolio so instead of saying I think I could transfer into this you can say I can show you that I can transfer into this because I interned I shadowed I volunteered whatever it was you did. It can go right up to that scale of taking a secondment or, a, or an interim job or even taking time out to travel or to, to learn can be part of the, the, the prototyping. What I find quite interesting as well is the kind of whole concept of actually when you're prototyping, when you're doing these interviews or when you're doing volunteering or interning, you are building relationships and from the informational interview stage, you're networking. And although an informational interview is the purpose is not to have an interview and not to ask for a job, actually by building those relationships, you are potentially able to access a hidden job market where someone can, you know, contact you in the future and say, Hey, I remember that conversation where you're interested in this career. Well, we actually have a, an opening now it's not advertised i really liked your our conversation and what would you say to maybe applying for the job how have you found this access to a hidden job market later on after this networking for definitely. you and for your clients that definitely happens what has definitely happened to me my story was that i was in sales for many years and i always knew that there was something missing then i after I had my kids, I went into education. But it's really interesting because the volunteering that I did both as a student and when alongside my educational job, they both led to other jobs because people know that you've done this before. I just had a call today from somebody saying, I know you've done this. Do you want to think about doing it again? So I think that sort of piece about networking and it's really funny because I was thinking about a lot of my clients, quite often clients come to me and they keep coming even after they've had the offer and the job. So the act of opening up, prototyping, networking, whatever you want to call it, connecting with other human beings, telling your career story, being a little bit more open about what it is 
you're actually looking for means that people know what you're looking for, what you're looking for. So when it comes up, you grab it. Other people know what you're looking for. And so they're thinking of you. So I have a number of clients who are working with me and I think the opportunities have come up and they've grabbed those and we're still working together because they're not done designing their life. And I think the thing maybe we're talking very much about prototyping today, but designing your life can become a kind of ongoing way of thinking about your life. And you can use it in other aspects of your life to improve your health, to improve your relationships, to decide whether to move or to stay or to scale up or retire early. People, once they've had that experience, I think they, they want to keep thinking like that. One question that I, I have about prototyping is how do you know when you've done enough prototyping that, that you can just make that decision that, hey, this actually, now I think about it, maybe this is the right career for me. And I'll give you an example um, from my own life. And this is early on. I did some work experience. I think it was when I was at school, at high school, doing, I think it was, I was working for Cisco, doing some kind of IT computer type work. And then I, I was like, I didn't know what to do at university. I ended up, I, I said, okay, I did this work experience for a few weeks in, in, in the computer industry. I'm going to do a computing degree at Imperial College. And maybe I'm going to, I'm going to do a career in computing. Turns out that I really did not like computing at all. And I tried to imagine myself doing that as a career into my undergraduate degree and I just hated it and I ended up dropping out of of that university and so that's an example of maybe not prototyping enough to know that potential career could be for you and it was a it was a costly mistake for me I had to change universities I wasted well not wasted but I I had a year in a course that in a university that I, I probably shouldn't have done what can people, how can people know that they've done enough testing and prototyping? Yeah, that's a really great question. And what you said is really common and the book opens up with people talking about that, studying the wrong thing. Our system is very much set up on study a subject instead of study yourself. So the answer to your question is in two parts. One, that the prior parts of designing your life is you have to know yourself really well. You have to know what's missing. You have to know what brings you energy. You have to know what it is that you like doing every day and where your strengths are. And yeah, there's a piece of work to do there um, that we don't often do before we make a decision. And I think, yeah, it's quite funny because I've got a story about how much is too much. I have some clients who, or I've got clients in the creative sectors who are maybe journalists or researchers, and they do too many interviews because they're fascinated by the story and then and I have to bring them back to yeah what what about for you what does that mean for you yeah there's that questioning of oneself which is what does it mean for me what's that told me I, I would like more of that or I wouldn't like more of that what does it mean for me and I think that's probably where the coaching I think benefit comes in And when they run the course at Stanford, everybody's doing it in, well, you remember your uni days, there's lots of people around, everybody wants to chat and you can do it in big radical collaboration groups. There's always somebody in the same situation to talk to. But once you're into your career, there isn't really anybody to talk to. And maybe um, your partner and your friends are a little bit fed up hearing you talk about your career. And so that's where the coach, I think, element um, or the collaboration, if you can get a small group together um, to help you, a support group together or a mentor or somebody else to bounce your thinking off. So um, then you get that support, that accountability, the reframing and just helping you consider what it is you took out of those conversations and experiences. In my experience, the conversations tend to bring up recurring themes and then we design an experience or two that backs that up. And then momentum really takes over at that point. At that point, they're waving at me over their shoulder. I'm off. I'm going to try this. And then after that, I have a roadmap. I'm going to try this. And all the time I'm going to be working at that or improving this. And once people get that sort of confidence in themselves, slight openness to the world and a bit of momentum, it it, it tends to move on. I've done this with about um, 
I've done this for two years. I, I, I trained two years ago and we we're going to do the course, which is really exciting. And I've done over two dozen people. So like a person a month for the last two years. And they describe it as organic, intuitive, transformational. So yeah, it, it, I think you, you do need outside support. Otherwise you would get lost in your own thoughts and you might interview too much or just get, um, what do they call it? Paralysis analysis paralysis. Yeah, I think the more information you collect um, about yourself and finding out about careers that you're that you might be interested in, there's a level that you need to unpack because you can you can do some of that with journaling, but actually talking through ideas with with a coach like someone that's actually trained in being able to listen, being able to and getting to know you over a number of, of weeks or months to, to actually make suggestions based on the relationship you have and, and highlighting your blind spots as you learn all this information. Yeah. Yeah. There's another, the, the, on the second book and um, the, the um, Bill and Dave talk about best theoretical option and your best doable option. Yeah. And so that clients don't fall back into the trap of in theory, this sounds perfect on paper. This is, I've designed my life. That's the really important bit about design thinking. It, that's why I love it. it you, you have to take action. The action can be tiny. It can be to talk some more or to think some more or to try something, but you have to take action and move forward. Just thinking in theory, that would really be really good for me, isn't enough. And it's really training people to say, how do I get more of that into my life easily in a way that suits my life or my personality and not they're trying to be some kind of unattainable person, but just be you moving towards that goal. Yeah, and I think that's why I, I love this, the, the method of design thinking, because it is a way to, first of all, identify problems, reframe problems in a way that you can actually take action on. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about how some people might be stuck in a problem for a long time, but actually there are methods in order to create movement with design thinking, like reframing. Can you talk a little bit about that and how people can actually use that to get unstuck? Yeah, I think it was, you were leading up to that in, before in that whole thing about it's asking yourself good questions that really is the key to, to, to all of this. But it is quite difficult to reframe things by yourself. What do we mean by reframe? It's to look at them from a different perspective. You've just explained really eloquently how you now have a different perspective on successful podcasters. And it's getting perspective or vantage points for yourself that are different from the one that you have. There are lots and lots of examples, you know, and this would overlaps with coaching. So in the book, they talk about dysfunctional beliefs, which is a little bit harsh. Um, but, and we talk about limiting beliefs in coaching all the time. People like me don't do that. Really? What's that about? So it's, it's about really saying, what is it you're stuck on? And often what we come back to in design thinking is it's the idea that people have this one idea about themselves rather than a broader idea of all the ways that they could get involved. So if people come to me and they want to do something that's really quite unique, the, the example I sort of always think about is, I think I've maybe spoken to you about this, it was like the Edinburgh Book Festival. Everybody wants to work for the Edinburgh Book Festival. The team's tiny. I actually know someone that works on the team. It's a really small type team and people work there for a very long time. And what you want to do with somebody is really design thinking is brilliant. You zoom out and you think, what are all the other things that would feel like that? And they could be as diverse as actually, what is it you really like about it? If you really dig into what do you really like about it, it's this aspect of it, if it's that. Well, where else would we find that? And it's going through and just saying, so that, and going back to your point about the, the problem there is their perspective is that's the only thing that they really want to do. They don't like, they hate what they do now. And the only thing that's going to make them happier is to have that job. They don't know that. They just think that is a self-limiting belief. That's a, it's, a, it's what Bill and Dave would call an anchor problem. You've decided that the solution to your problem is one thing and one thing alone. And so you can, um, unpick that really by zooming right out 
and working out how do you get more of what it is you imagine that to be in your actual life now and so that that's the kind of way that we do it on the design thinking the other type of problem that they talk about is a gravity problem so that's the thing where people well, the gravity problem we have right now is i wish there was no covid right okay but there's nothing we can do about that that's it. so we have to design around it the classic one i wish this company was more entrepreneurial <laughs> i wish this local authority was more entrepreneurial to work for no you're in the wrong place if the culture is not entrepreneurial you've got a gravity problem you need to take your entrepreneurial uh, mindset somewhere else where, I, where else might that be so it's trying to give a different perspective and because we all can get very particularly once you're in a job or in a sector or in a profession you're busy and so your world becomes quite narrow and it's broadening it out again before you zo so zooming out and then you obviously then you have to make some decisions to move forward but certainly zooming out before you zoom in yeah and you can apply this kind of thinking not just for career change but actually if you're unhappy in your job and if for example you feel like your boss is not listening to you or doesn't take your opinions into account and so designing how would you deal with something like that like a, a work issue that you want to overcome would that be a an anchor problem or a gravity problem could you reframe those kind of issues yeah i think reframing is the way to go there as bill and dave wrote a second book called designing your work life because actually what happens with designing your life you don't people don't necessarily rip everything up and change they just what they learn through that process is that people just do more of what they love and that's where things get better and easier for them and they recognize that you don't always have the kind of choice to leave and i've worked with people particularly in um, vocations like teaching or medicine where they really is their true purpose it's just that factors around them are not working for them so they aren't prepared to leave they have to find a way to reframe or to move sideways to look at it a different way to um, whether they decide to they say reframe and re-enlist so think again about why you do this really focus on your values and why you do it Another way is to, is to slightly, if you have a little bit of control over the type of work that you do, more of the stuff that energizes you and see if there's a way to delegate the, some of the things that don't, you might be able to get on a project or a secondment. I think a lot of that, again, is just about, as you say, it's just about perspective and coming from an outside perspective. It's like, well, what about all these other things? Because staying where you are, you could just stay where you are, but you're really not happy where you are. What are the other things that you can do? And I've had really great success with, as I say, both education and medicine where people, it's very stressful work, but they're really passionate about it. And when they dial up the stuff that really matters to them, some of the things that have been burning them out or causing them um, difficulty fade a little bit. It's being really intentional about what you focus on and why. It sounds quite nuanced and it is, it's quite personal, but it's definitely doable. Yeah, I think, especially when people are thinking about changing their careers, it might be that they just, they have a feeling that they, they just hate this industry, or they hate their boss or their work, but actually defining what the actual specific problem is of why they don't like their job, often that can unlock solutions where they actually love their job and it might be that they have better communication with their boss i, I remember i think in uh, the book it said someone was they weren't getting any appreciation from their boss i can't remember the, the exact case study but they, they they just weren't getting any kind of good feedback and they thought oh, i just want to quit I, I can't stand this and they actually asked their boss am i doing anything wrong am i doing anything wrong and their boss shared that, well, actually, it's not you, it's me. I've been going through some personal problems, like I've got some issues with my marriage and I've actually been taking it out on you. And actually, I really like your work and I, I want you to take more ownership of it. And it was that, it's these kind of stories that there are ways around just chucking in your career or your job. A lot of it's to do with communication and a lot of it's to do with identifying specifically what the problem is and what actions can you take to move forward with that problem and it might That's be that your it might be that your boss says no i just don't like you in which case maybe then you've validated 
your hypothesis and maybe it is time to move on. But it's this way of thinking that it, it can lead into many different routes, like moving across to different functions from accountancy to marketing, for example, if you're looking to go into more creative side or, or as you said, like delegating tasks to other people to, to, so that you do more things that energize you. Um, and that totally changes your whole experience in your day. So obviously you're coaching people on design thinking. How has design thinking helped your own life in terms of how you approach life now after coming across it? Yeah, because that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I think I was looking for it and I, I've, I've had huge benefits to me in my life. So I, I think I said before, I, I worked in sales. I thought I wanted to do something for me, more meaningful. So when the children came along, I worked in education and it was super rewarding work. So I've shifted there. And then but then I fell into the trap of doing the same thing as I'd done in sales and, and climbing the ladder, not paying so much attention to my own needs and um, I was lucky enough to be working with a coach and we were sort of I guess we were querying my motivation and then I had this book I had two copies of the book because I bought two copies one for me and one for my husband and that's what happens when people discover it don't they, they become a bit evangelistic and start buying the book and sending it to people I've done the and same I, and I, <laughs> yeah I worked through the book and for me, I'd hit a bit of, a, I think I would say both times I pivoted in my career, I think burnout and health issues were, were underlying. And I did, I've got my copy of the book here. I got it out before we talked and I've got my, literally my notes written inside as to the scores I gave myself, this little dashboard that you do at the front and you have to score yourself, don't this, don't you, on health, love, play and work. And it was pretty devastating. <laughs> this is the first chapter of the book. Um, health was really low. Play was non-negotiable, was negligible. Um, work was killing me. But I was full of love for my family, which is quite similar to, I think, um, the example that they give in the book. And I decided to put as much emphasis on my health as I put on other things and see what happened. And that was through reading the book. And I started to do the kind of micro improvements of my health. And everything else fell into place after that. I think for me, reading the book, I then decided to do the course and I went to California and I met Bill and Dave and the community of coaches who, who were sort of all using this in their practice. And that was a sort of life-changing thing for me. So I sat in that room and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to change my life now. I've, I've, I've literally swallowed the book whole. And I did. I, I came back to my, my husband and said, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to start coaching full time. And he said, hang on a second. Um, I don't advise you do. He did know that it was coming. So I left it a little bit and eventually finished the work that I was doing and, and set up my own coaching practice. So what I've been doing before, I do still do innovation in education, but I do, it, like you, I have a portfolio career. So I do a few different things. And I did, designed all of that through reading the book and being and having a coach as well not that the coach was it knew about the book but it was helping us both with that process and then I've taken it a kind of step further we've sold up downsized change our lifestyle so all to do with the things that matter most health family meaningful work and so yeah it for me it's I I literally it changed my life Wow, what a great answer. Uh, I wasn't expecting all of that. It literally did change your life. And yeah, that's what I love about, about this way of thinking about design thinking, designing your life mentality is that it doesn't just apply to work. It doesn't just apply to your career. It actually, you can use the, this, these principles and these, this structured thinking to solve all problems in your life. So you move forward in small ways, in, in actionable ways that, that are doable. And, and actually, yeah. if you continue to do that, you can make improvements in many different areas of your life. And that is, that's freeing and that's liberating. And that's but, different from sitting stuck thinking, I'd really like to do that big thing over there and never do it. Yeah. The reframe is what about doing lots of little things that might not take you to that, they might take you somewhere else. But if what's guiding you, and I think that's what the book, at the, at the basis of it, 
They really don't, they decry this idea of work-life balance. They talk about coherence and the fact that your work and life need to be coherent. So there are times in your life, like you did and like I did, where you have to get out, get a job and earn some money and get some experience. And that's the right thing to do with that stage of your life. But then there are these pivot points which seem to come quite naturally in an adult's life. They kind of group in certain ways where you have to, your life stage changes and you need something else. And this gives you a really, I would say it's easy because I've done it, but it wasn't necessarily easy going through it, but it reduces your fear and your risk. It breaks it down into small bite-sized chunks. And it's always coming back about to what really matters to you. It gives you some confidence and some momentum. And it's informed by what's actually happening in the real world rather than getting stuck in these sort of swirling thoughts of what if, what if I'd taken a different path? What if I'd, what if I was like them? What if I could be better at this? Would it change anything? Um, so no, I think it, it, it really is an amazing um, book and, and process. And that's why I'm really glad that you invited me on to talk about it. And not just that, that you've actually read the book and taken your own sort of steps forward. And I think one of the next things certainly that I'm really keen to do and always have been is to bring this philosophy or way of thinking about careers that's more human-centered to more people, particularly in the UK who may not have heard, you know, because if you're not a designer, you're not necessarily have heard of this. And even if you are a designer, you've, I've worked with designers and they think it's brilliant because they've tried to consult on themselves, the process that they use for work, and that doesn't work. They need outside inputs they need those career conversations the experiences the support group of mentor coach or your or your own designing your life team yeah it's I'm really excited a friend and I are also working on a, a mighty community for later in the year to help more people to use this philosophy really to design their careers I love it. I love it. Before I ask my last question, Fiona, how can people get in touch with you? Who could, do you normally work with and how can you help them? Okay. I have a, a website, fionareathcoaching.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn, really active on LinkedIn. Also, there's the Designing Your Life website, which is great and it profiles all the coaches. So there's not just me, there's lots of coaches now across the world. And literally, you could work with any of those coaches, whichever one um, had the right chemistry for you. So there's the Designing Your Life website is definitely worth a look because there's some downloadable free resources on there as well and upcoming events. People can learn more about the process. For me, I tend to work with People tend to come to me at two sort of critical life stages, um, kind of late 20s, early 30s, late 40s. And those are the two stages where they've either maybe got into something that they realize isn't working or they've been doing something for a long time and they know that for the next phase of their career, they would really like a redesign. And so those are my kind of two types of clients. My clients come from all different sectors as I say I have worked with designers but I've also worked with teachers and people in, in medicine and education lots of people in tech because they just get it because they use design thinking processes all the time but equally people in finance so it doesn't really matter it's more about your mindset and just taking a slightly more human-centered creative probably because the theoretical approach hasn't worked for you like you and I were both saying, we've both fallen foul of reading the book and thinking it, the book's going to give you the answer or speaking to a, a, a counsellor and thinking they're going to tell you what to do. And this gives you a, a kind of a tool set to, to sort it out for yourself. I love it. I love it. Fiona, my last question. I see you as, as someone that's burning from within. You're living with, with passion. You certainly have purpose in, in terms of the work that you do. And you have balance. You, you have a portfolio career. You, you raised a, a lovely family and, and have a, a lovely husband as well. What's the one thing that's made the biggest difference for you to live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within? Wow, that's your biggie. I should have practiced my answer to this one. I just came off a call with a school I'm working with and we're looking at this because I think my real passions are things like that sort of confluence of creativity and innovation, but also skills for work. Because I really think that everybody should enjoy what they do every day. 
and and that everybody's got the potential everybody's got a super strength and so I, I just I've always believed that I've always had that confidence in that so I think the thing that's made the biggest difference for me and it was something one of my coaches a couple coaching's probably the thing actually if you think about it because if I think about my coaches that I've had and I've been really lucky and I you said it about making a wrong decision I don't think there is a wrong decision young people come to me and say oh I'm worried I'm gonna make it wrong. there isn't a wrong decision you always learn everything you do and everything builds and everything some of the things I've done that now inform what I'm going to do in future there, there's no such thing as a wrong decision but coaching really I was really lucky in my corporate career to experience really high quality coaching and that probably inspired me and then the questions of people saying to me, what are you doing now? Why are you doing it? And my coach who taught me to coach and is then my supervisor saying, people see what you do, Fiona, but they don't see who you are. So I was really focused on doing, achieving, succeeding, outward success, if I'm honest, because that's just what I thought I'd absorbed that idea. And he saw in something different. And I shifted from being very, it's funny, I wrote these things down before we, we did come on. And it was about, it was all about budgets and projects and things going quicker and faster and higher. And he saw that actually those same skills, the listening skills, the supporting skills, the belief in other people were actually the things I should be leading with. I love it. Getting that outside perspective. You don't necessarily know it yourself, but they, they those are the things that really shine in you. And that's, super important to do it and I've benefited from that um, myself from coaches from going on retreats and lots of different exercises and continue to do so awesome I love that one thank you so much Fiona for for an amazing interview everyone the, the show notes will have uh, all the links to contact Fiona the designing your life book uh, and website for you to check all of that out and thank you once again for uh, an amazing conversation thank you I loved how Fiona's life completely transformed as a result of discovering design thinking. She changed careers and went full-time into coaching, downsized her house, transformed her health and changed her lifestyle in such a positive way. I totally encourage all of you, Burn From Withiners, listening to this to go check out the book Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. They also have another book called Designing Your Work Life, which is not so much about career change, but how to make changes within your career or job to feel happier and more fulfilled. Both are full of practical exercises that have been tried and tested on thousands of people around the world, as you would expect from Stanford University professors. All the details of these resources are in this episode's show notes, so make sure you check them out. If you enjoyed this episode, go right ahead and leave a review for this podcast by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash burn from within. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash burn from within. And stay updated with more inspiring interviews by hitting the subscribe button now on your player for this podcast. Until next time, live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within.